Welcome to the Tell Us Something Podcast. I'm Mark Moss. In this week's podcast, you'll hear the brief history of a time our storyteller lunched with a famous physicist, a young girl's history of being lucky in love, and the story of an adventurous young woman who crosses the Atlantic on a freighter ship. The next live Tell Us Something event is June 13th in Missoula, Montana. The theme is risk. Tickets for that show are available at the Top Hat Lounge box office, Rockin' Rudy's, and LogjamPresents.com. Our podcast today was recorded in front of a live audience on April 12, 2018 at Free Ceramics in Helena, Montana. Eight storytellers shared their true personal story on the theme, didn't see that coming. Today, we hear from three of those storytellers. Young entrepreneur Jerry Spencer and his partner are working the largest trade show of their careers, Macworld Expo, and they barely have time to take a break. Jerry stops for a quick bite to eat and shares a table with an unexpected guest. Jerry calls his story a surprise lunch that I'll never forget. Thanks for listening. So I didn't see that coming. A little bit of background. Before this story occurred, uh, a friend of mine, Rick, used to work at uh, Spring Meadow Resources in, in Farm in the Dell, worked with the residents there, and, and he enjoyed that. He, he, he got to help them out, and one of the, the residents was, was Ricky, and Ricky had some kind of a, an endowment or, or some extra money that allowed him to, to take events and to, to go to different places and, and do things, so Rick and Ricky went out quite often, and I, I saw them occasionally. I went, went with them a couple of times, and I got to know Ricky a little bit. He was really sharp and, and very witty, uh, you know, just physically handicapped, was in a wheelchair and, and pretty bad off that way, but real sharp and was good with his computers and uh, sure enjoyed his gadgets. Ricky had a lot of gadgets. So back in the 90s, uh, my partner Bill Crane and I started a company, uh, Keep It Simple Systems, that he mentioned, and we made solar power for portable computers. A whole lot of fun. We, uh, we took the ride, uh, I would say, in late, early Silicon Valley, uh, we, we went around and, and just had a heck of a time with uh, solar power for portable computers. But a small company, just Bill and, and myself, and we hired two other people that did the computer consulting. So in 1994, August of 1994, we uh, scraped together our nickels and, and barely made enough money to, and put it all into getting a booth at the Mac World Expo. At that time, it was a real big deal. We'd never been in one of these, and we couldn't afford to take a lot of people, so it was just Bill and I. And we showed up the day of the expo, and we went there, and our booth was in the back, you know, and we didn't know what to expect. But, boy, that, that thing started going, and the crowd was just crazy. It was just amazing. We just couldn't take a break. It was just nonstop, people coming up, and it was very exciting. And, and it was just Bill and I, you know, so we're not going to see the show. We're not going to go to the, to, to the workshops or any of that kind of stuff. We're just working our asses off. Went along for quite a while, and then I finally said, Bill, I, I, I got to take a break. So I went, went down, and I left him in, in the booth, and I went to the little commissary and got you know, a little chicken salad, chicken Caesar salad in, in, the, in the plastic device and so forth. And I went, sat down at this table with a couple other fellas. We didn't say anything or anything. They got up and walked away after a little while. So I'm sitting there at the table by myself. And then came along a, a fellow pushing another guy in the wheelchair. It reminded me of Rick and Ricky. It was... a very disabled fellow in a wheelchair with lots of neat gadgets hanging off the wheelchair and his assistant, excuse me, is this table taken? No, no, go ahead and sit down. And now, I gotta admit that later after thinking about this, I should have been in Montana mode, you know? In Montana, somebody sits down at your table, you're gonna talk to them. You know, have a little bit of conversation and just, you know, say hi, how you doing, what do you think of the show, or anything like that. 
But no, no, I, I, I was in big city mode. In big city, you can sit at the table, people come up, you don't even have to talk. You just you, you respect their space. So maybe that's what I was doing. I was giving them a chance to just eat their lunch in peace. And I ate my, my lunch in peace, and I shoveling stuff in my face, food in my face, and I, at one point I, I did look around the room, and I, it's kind of weird, just seemed like everybody was looking at our table. Okay, that's fine. So I finished up my lunch. I mean, just, you know, kind of packed up and said pleasantries to the guys and walked away, taking my, my thing over to the trash, and somebody comes up to me, man, how was that? What did you guys talk about? What what what'd you do, man? And, and I said, what? What are you doing? I said, do you know who you were just having lunch with? That's Stephen Hawking. He's giving the keynote speech today. <laughs> I didn't see that coming. Thanks, Jerry. Jerry Spencer first came to Montana in 1979 when he got a summer job as a desk clerk at a lodge in Glacier Park. That is where he met the love of his life and his partner, Janet. Jerry is a serial entrepreneur. He has founded several successful companies, and Janet helped found Tidbits, the paper, which is currently published in over 180 locations. Jerry is currently managing a project to revitalize an old iron foundry in Indiana and is splitting his time between Indiana and Montana. To learn more about Jerry's work and Tidbits, visit tellussomething.org. Rachel Aguinness loves being in love and has finally found the one. She shares the story of that journey in a tale she calls Lucky in Love. Thanks for listening. So I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase unlucky in love. I'm sure lots of you have felt that way sometimes. I, on the other hand, have felt lucky in love. I have been through many relationships in my life. But my first real one comes to mind when I met my husband, uh, my first husband. And I look back on those days and only remember good things until the end. But my first husband, we met, it was a while ago, but uh, (laughs) there was a, a woman involved and she asked me to come to a concert in Great Falls. And so I said, yeah, let's go. That sounds like fun. So she's like, yeah, meet me here at this time. And I was there and I'm going, "Uh, you're not here. Uh, What am I supposed to do? She's like, well, I'm running late and I have this and then I have that. And she said, well, I'm going to send the bass player of the band and he'll keep you company until I'm ready. Okay. All right. Fine. Where am I supposed to meet him? She said, well, go to Jester's Bar. That'll be fun, right? Yeah. So I'm sitting there waiting and drinking. And, and if you've ever had a drink at Jester's, it's strong. <laughs> yeah. So I'm sitting there waiting. And in walks this man that when he walked in the room, it was like nothing else mattered in the world. I instantly fell in love. He was beautiful to look at. He had a feeling to him that nothing else mattered in the world. Like he carefree, hippie kind of. I don't know how to explain that feeling, except that I instantly was gravitated to him and I didn't even know he was the bass player. (laughs) 
But then he introduced himself, and I was like, oh, oh, I'm supposed to meet you. I feel better now. Uh, so we sat for hours waiting for my friend, talking about the world and politics and whatever else that you're not supposed to talk about at a bar. But we enjoyed our company, and anyways, we ended up meeting with my friend finally, where we got into a van where there were no seats, <laughs> cargo van, you know, and we're sitting there like smoking pot on the way to Great Falls. We're going to go play at the show, and I'm just going to be a groupie. <laughs> and it was great, and I enjoyed my evening thoroughly. I ended up spending the hotel room with this man, and time progressed where we got to the point where he lived in uh, Belgrade, underneath the Cordley Gulch section of Belgrade, under these beautiful mountains. And we had an evening under the moon, and the moon had rose so bright and so beautifully under the sky that evening. And we slept under the stars that evening on a blanket. And it was the most beautiful, beautiful moment I have ever had in my life. I thought time could stop right now and it'd be okay. It was absolutely the most wonderful evening I've ever had. The smell, the, the luminescence in the air, the feeling of this wonderful man that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. And we're laying on a blanket with no shelter, just laying underneath the stars. And it was kind of a hippie commune. There was a airstream and there was a yurt and people coming and going. And it was just like, yeah, this is great. I'm in my 20s and I'm like, yes, yes, that's what I want. So needless to say, marriage came. We had a child. He is almost 12 now. But we had a child and it was the most glorious thing in my life. I loved this man. This is what I wanted. I originally, when I was younger, didn't want to have children, but we did. We had a beautiful boy, and I love him dearly. So then a day happened where I put my son to sleep, and I noticed my husband was missing. So I went downstairs in my house that we had remodeled and built and put our hard work and sweat into and he was not downstairs either and I'm th thinking to myself where is my husband <laughs> so I walked outside to our sauna and opened the door and my husband we're gonna call him Draco <laughs> he was in the sauna with Voldemort a man, and I was stopped, dead in time. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to feel. I knew I felt like dirt, walked on, treaded on, mud caked into the boots. I wanted to kill both of them, but I didn't. <laughs> I wouldn't be here if I had. <laughs> Needless to say, that relationship didn't work. We tried, but it did not work. So I found myself, I didn't have a car at the time, and I was working at a restaurant as a waitress, and I found myself kind of falling for this chef that worked there. Wonderful man. He only wanted to please me. 
He doted on me at every turn, cooked me whatever I wanted. I could just create a menu for the evening and he'd make it. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> Truly. But this man was from the South, so he would make like gumbo and etouffee and all kinds of things that I've never had truly, because <laughs> you know I'm from Wyoming and then Montana. Uh, <laughs> but I remember this one dish that he made for me that was a pheasant gumbo. And pheasant in itself is kind of dry, so you've got to add it to something, or you've got to add something to it. And this pheasant gumbo was the most amazing thing I'd ever tasted. It was delightful with the herbs and scrumptious and moist and flavorful. And I just thought to myself, God, I'm going to marry this man. He's got to be the right one, right? <laughs> we thought about it. It didn't come to you which I found myself going to the bar more frequently when those feelings would start to come in. So I found myself at the Western one day. <laughs> Not Jesser's, the Western. And I found myself reading a book at the Western, which is odd in itself. I don't think most people read a book in the Western. They might in a bar, but not the Western. And I was reading Harry Potter of all things. I love fantasy. <laughs> So I'm sitting there by myself, and I, I notice this couple in the other side of the bar. I don't know if you've ever been into the Western, but there's two sides. There's the bar that's kind of narrow. There's usually peanut shells on the ground, or at least there used to be. And on the other side is like pool tables. So this couple is playing pool, and they come to me out of nowhere, and they say, well, come play pool with us thinking, all right, I'm just reading Harry Potter, might as well. So I come to play pool with this couple, and I'm enjoying myself, very much so, and then all of a sudden, the situation changes dramatically. The woman in the couple literally pins me up against the wall, and she's going down my pants, and up my shirt, and licking me, and kissing me, and... I don't know what to do. I mean, normally I would just punch somebody in the face if they did this to me, but I'm awestruck. I have no idea what to do with this woman. So I'm uncomfortable and I'm deciding that I should probably do something. <laughs> and I go into the other side of the bar. There's no bartender, but there's a gentleman sitting there. And I say to this gentleman, I'm like, oh my God, I'm so glad you're here. Can you help me? There's this couple, and I think they want to take me home, and I, I don't want to go. And he's like, sure, I'll just, I'll come. And I'm like, well, pretend to be my boyfriend, okay? It'll all be great. So he comes, and he joins in in the pool game, and we're playing pool, and we're enjoying ourselves, and pretty soon the woman gets forward again, and he says to the woman, back off. That's my girlfriend. I'm like, yes, yes, thank you. That's exactly what I needed. And they backed off. And it was the most amazing thing in the world. And here I am going, God, this man is amazing. This is what I need in my life. <laughs> Somebody to take charge. <laughs> Needless to say, here we are, 
We got married in August of last year. <laughs> Eight years later, <laughs> after being together and, and experiencing many joyful moments together, and it brings me back to, I didn't see that coming. Yes, I am lucky in love. Eric Schmidt, I love you. Thanks, Rachel. Rachel McGinnis was born in Jackson, Wyoming, but has lived in Helena for 23 years. She works as an insurance agent. Rachel spends her spare time fishing and hiking, hanging out with her three dogs, and singing with the Helena Symphony. She has one awesome son named Liam and a stepdaughter named Hannah with her recent marriage to Eric Schmitz. Thanks for listening to the Tell Something podcast. If you enjoy the stories you hear, please rate us on Apple Music or Stitcher. Leaving a review and rating really helps get the podcast to more listeners, and we want to reach as many people as possible. Please rate and review us, and then recommend the Tell Us Something podcast to one person who has never listened to it before. Thank you. And thanks to our title sponsors, the Bookstore at the University of Montana, a local bookstore serving the students, faculty, and staff of the University of Montana, as well as the Missoula community. MontanaBookstore.com CabinetParts.com The number one source for cabinet hardware since 1997. Anyone searching for the best kitchen cabinet hardware at a great price needs to go to CabinetParts.com. CabinetParts.com combines knowledgeable hardware specialists with the best online shopping experience nationwide. With fast and easy ordering, free hinge matching service, and same-day shipping, CabinetParts.com is the direct source for all of your cabinet hardware needs. Gecko Designs. The creative crew at Gecko Designs builds mobile-friendly websites for both large and small clients in Missoula and around the country. Visit the Gecko Designs team at North Higgins in Missoula or online at geckodesigns.com. Logjam Presents. Headquartered in Missoula, Montana, Logjam Presents is an independent and privately owned live entertainment company. Logjam Presents is the exclusive operator and promoter of the Kettle House Amphitheater, the Wilma, and the Top Hat Lounge. Logjam Presents has created a unique artist and concertgoer experience that is unmatched in the Northwest. Logjampresents.com. All right, let's get back to the stories. In 1963, Susie Holt met the love of her life in New York City while studying art. When he returned from a trip around the world, he wanted her to go to Montana. She also loved travel and instead ran away to have her own European adventure. After four months of hitchhiking across Europe, she got a little more of both than she bargained for when she headed home by freighter. She calls her story the run of the ship. Thanks for listening. Well, I'm 22. I'm in Athens, Greece, and I'm ready to go home. So I book a freighter, one of those that takes 12 passengers in first-class cabins and takes 10 to 12 days to cross the Atlantic. Only problem is not coming through for another month, and I'm really ready to go home. So I kept bugging the shipping agent. Can't you find something that's coming through sooner, please? And one day he said, Yes, there's um, one briefly stopping briefly in Crete, and uh, it's leaving day after tomorrow, but that's okay, we'll fly you there, and you can catch it. So then here I am at, on the dock next to this big, black, ugly freighter, but it's got Hellenic Star um, painted on the bow. It's the right ship. It's the right day. It's the right time. Where is anybody? Where are the other passengers? 
Who's going to take my ticket and show me where to go? But then a young seaman came by headed for the ship and he saw me and he um, didn't speak English, but he came over and kind of like, can I help you? And so I handed him my ticket and he kind of puzzled over it and, and uh, you know, indicated I should wait and he disappeared onto the ship. I waited. He came back, gave me a smile, picked up my little red plastic suitcase and led me up the wobbly gangplank into the ship down a dark, narrow passage to a door that said, radio operator. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> so I go inside, and it's definitely not first class, but it's, you know, it's compact. It has everything I need. Okay, this is fine. So I started putting my things away, and uh, then I could feel that we were moving. I thought, oh, man, I'm so excited. I'm going to sail across the Atlantic on a ship. So I poked my head out, you know, thinking I'd catch up with some other <laughs> passengers. <laughs> You're seeing this coming, aren't you? <laughs> so I, uh, silence, dark, nothing, no signs to show me where to go. So now I'm really confused and I go back into the cabin and sit on the bunk and uh, wonder what's next. <laughs> and then uh, Tasso, that's the name of that first young seaman, he came, knocked on the door, took me to the captain's office. Well, the captain's office is nice and spacious. It has a big oak desk and, and uh, a short, boyish-looking man behind it. And he explains how surprised he is that I have a ticket on his freighter. <laughs> he said, this freighter doesn't carry passengers. Uh, I'll be the only passenger. Um, not only that, this is an old World War II Liberty ship. Its top speed is 10 knots. <laughs> we'll be a month going across the ocean, and we have one stop in Naples. I think a month, only passenger, and we're already out of sight of land. <laughs> so that night, I have dinner with the captain in his private dining room. We shared some things about ourselves. He said, this was his first trip across the Atlantic as, <laughs> as a captain. He's 35 and not married. And he's been thinking about it. And he knew that it was destiny that put me on his ship out of nowhere to be his wife. Well, I don't love you. Doesn't matter. Marriage comes first, then comes love. But it, it was a good thing he felt that way because the tall, dark, and very handsome first mate started putting moves on me right away. I said, um, no, I'm going to wait till I'm married. He said, leaned over me and said, I can't wait five minutes. <laughs> Make you think of someone. <laughs> I think the captain must have called him off because he didn't bother me like that any, again. So we pull into Naples, uh, in a very crowded port, ships from all over the world. And it's dirty and it's noisy. 
and the crew starts loading 6,000 tons of canned tomatoes into the hold. The captain takes me out into the city, though, and he takes me to a very elegant private dining hall. I'm feeling a little awkward. The best I have left is a, a very worn, faded, red, sleeveless shift and yellow rubber flip-flops <laughs> that are worn paper, paper thin from uh, hiking around. Um, but he wasn't phased. He said, really, it's so good to not have to pay for my companion in port. Um, he, he knew I wanted to... <laughs> He knew I wanted to learn how to play the guitar, so he offered to buy one for me. I said, no, that's too much. He also knew I was an artist. He said, well, what if I set up a room for you to paint? You know, we'll, give, we'll fix everything you need to do a painting, and we can trade. Okay, that's good. So we sail out of Naples through the Strait of Gibraltar out to the open ocean. We're going to be there three weeks. But I needn't have worried, because I was such a novelty, such um, a break in the monotony, they, they treated me like a pampered princess. I had the run of the ship, and I explored every inch of it, from, from bottom to top, and from stem to stern. My favorite was up in the crow's nest. You made know that that's the very top of the ship. And from there, you have a 360-degree view of the ocean out to the horizon. And it was just magic being up there, watching for ships or watching the luminescence in the water. Or, um, it was especially magical at night in the moonlight. I spent a lot of time up there. <laughs> then the, those magical waves started messing with us started tossing us around. And I thought it was very exciting. I ran down to the bow of the ship and, and going up and down with it, you know, and, and it just exhilarated by the, <laughs> the spray of the waves that were crashing over the bow. Captain came down pretty quick and said that wasn't such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> that evening at dinner, uh, the storm was building up. <laughs> oh, dear. The plates on our dining table just flew off the table and smashed against the, the wall. That night, the storm really got going, and I, I, the creaks and groans of the ship were really freaking me out. So I went to find some, and I found them. The officers all huddled together in the wheelhouse at the helm, singing boisterously. And it made me think of Cub Scouts out in the, their first camping trip <laughs> you know, in the wild. <laughs> so I knew this was bad. And I went back to my cabin and strapped my uh, life preserver on over my clothes and lay down in my bunk and just held on to that life preserver, hoping the ship wouldn't break up. Well, it didn't. It didn't break up. I went down to the to the, my studio, and the paints had come unsealed, splashed all over the walls. It was absolutely clean the next day, though. So then, uh, oh, I wanted to build a kite. I have to tell you about the kite. Uh, the captain and I built one, 
and it didn't fly. But the next day there was one flying and the crew had made it and it was octagonal and it had two black circles for glasses and a little nose and two little ponytails like I was wearing. And the crew kept that flying for two weeks. <laughs> so, so, okay, we're coming up to the Atlantic coast, and, and we have to find our way up to New York and in a fog with broken radar. <laughs> but we make it, and the last night, the captain unlocks the beer, sends it down to the deck for the crew. The Guitars come out, the bazooki come out, the singing and dancing starts, and I, I can't resist. I head down to the deck, and I dance Greek style, you know, into the wee hours, with the kite still flying. <laughs> Who could have expected any of that? But I still wonder if that shipping agent knew what he was setting me up for. <laughs> Thank you. She did go to Montana after all and was married to Martin for 46 years. Helena has been her home for 40 years. After a 30-year career in librarianship, including 15 years with the Chaudaire Medical Genetics Program, she has resumed her earlier passion for making art. Her photography and paintings have been exhibited in museums and galleries throughout Montana. To see a picture of Susie steering the freighter ship, head over to tellussomething.org. I shared a story that night too, and it was one I had recently shared in Missoula. If you're interested in hearing that story and haven't heard it yet, please go back and listen to the final episode from the Right Place, Right Time podcast. Thank you. We hope to see you June 13th at the Wilma for the next live event. Get your tickets now at Rock and Rudy's Top Hat Lounge box office or logjampresents.com. Tell Us Something is proud to be fiscally sponsored by Missoula Community Foundation, a 501c3 organization. Missoula Community Foundation has been providing leadership to Missoula nonprofits and inspiring long-term philanthropy in Missoula since 2007. MissoulaCommunityFoundation.org. Fact and fiction, where books, authors, ideas, and readers interact. FactandFictionBooks.com. Missoula Broadcasting Company, locally owned and operating four stations, The Trail 103.3, Missoula's Quality Rock, and a part of our unique Western Montana community. Featuring local DJs who love Missoula and know their music. Jack FM 105.9, playing what they want. U 104.5 FM, your at-work listening station. And ESPN 102.9, focusing on city, state, and regional sports. Giving exposure and insight to teams and athletes in and around Western Montana. Learn more at MissoulaBroadcasting.com. Enlightened Lab Float Center. Enlightened Lab Float Center. Enlightened Lab is a spa featuring sensory deprivation or floating as a wellness therapy. Unplug, reset, and recharge in their state-of-the-art float tanks. Or sweat it out in their infrared sauna. Learn more at EnlightenLab.com. That's E-N-L-Y-T-E-N-L-A-B.com. Martin McCain Woodworks and Design. Learn more about Martin and his work at facebook.com slash Woodworks. Missoula Federal Credit Union. Find them at missoulafcu.org. Thanks to Cash for Drunkers who provided the music for the podcast. Find them at cashfordrunkersmusic.com. Thanks to Blue Feather Chiropractic. Find them at bluefeatherchiropractic.com. Thanks to Elkins Consulting. Learn more about their services at elkinsconsulting.com. Free Ceramics is a pottery center in Helena, Montana. Learn more about Free Ceramics at freeceramics.com. Fieldy Design. Check out their stuff at etsy.com slash shop slash fieldydesign. 
podcast production by me, Mark Moss. Thank you to everyone who attends the live events, those of you who download the podcasts, and most especially to the storytellers, Aaron Parrott, Elizabeth Rivard, Chelsea Rice, Bob Yost, Jerry Spencer, Rachel Aguinness, and Susie Holt. The next live Tell Us Something event is June 13th at the Wilma. The theme is Risk. You can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to the Tell Us Something podcast using your favorite podcasting app. You can stream all of the stories ever told on the Tell Us Something stage for free at tellussomething.org.